The Stanley Cup Finals start this weekend, but who should the New York Islanders fans be rooting for? We'll break down that question on today's show. Plus, we analyze the season J.G. Pajot had and what his future is like with the team. All that and more on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. Tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Marcel with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian. And I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. And welcome, everybody, to the Thursday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Want to thank everybody for making Locked On Islanders your first listen every day. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast, And we're now also available on SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search for Locked on Islanders and you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Lots to discuss on today's show, but first, if there's something Islanders-related on your mind, if you have a question, a comment, a topic maybe you'd like us to discuss on a future episode, feel free to email us at LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com, and if you leave your first name and where you're from, we're happy to mention you on the show when we discuss whatever it is that's on your mind. You can also follow the show on Twitter, at LockedOnIsles, and you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter, I'm at Ice Wars, NYR vs. NYI, and we've got everything you need to know this offseason about your New York Islanders from hirings, firings, trade rumors, the draft, free agency, you name it, we will have it for you here on Locked on Islanders. So, the Stanley Cup playoffs are about to get underway this weekend, and uh, it's the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights. And, hey, I'll, I'll tell you right now, uh, I don't think a lot of people had this matchup on their cards when the season got underway, and even when the playoffs got underway, Florida being the eighth seed in the East. And, you know, neither of these teams have uh, players, a lot of players who have major New York Islanders ties. And so... You know, I'm thinking about this series, and I'm looking forward to it. I love the Stanley Cup Final, no matter who's playing, regardless of the fact that I'd always rather have the Islanders in it. But, hey, it's been 1983 was the last time, uh, 84, rather, was the last time the Isles were in the finals. So, it's been 39 years. But, here's the thing. Who should Islander fans be pulling for in the Stanley Cup Final. 
And while I think that is definitely an individual choice that each fan is going to have to make, I sincerely, you know, think that there's one team out of these two that has a little bit more of a connection to the New York Islanders. And that is the Florida Panthers. And, you know, look, we could start by saying, okay, uh, I'm a fan of an East Coast team. I'd rather have the Eastern Conference win a title than the Western Conference. That's one way to look at it. But really, if you go back and look at the history of the Florida Panthers, there are a lot more connections between the Panthers organization and the Islanders organization than there are with the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, in some ways, the Vegas Golden Knights do remind me of the Islanders uh, in the sense that the New York Islanders made the playoffs in their third season after being an expansion team. And when you think about how different it was in the 70s, yeah, that was probably a huge, huge accomplishment. Now, the Vegas Golden Knights made the cup final in their first year. That's something that the Islanders, based on the expansion rules and the way you protected players from the expansion draft, they could have never dreamed of doing that back in 72-73. But the idea that you get an expansion team that quickly rises and becomes a contender, in that sense, there are similarities between the Vegas Golden Knights and the New York Islanders. And, you know, you, you, you certainly see those connections and you you don't you know uh you, you don't want to completely dismiss them but the only other real connection that i can see between vegas and the islanders really is robin laner who you know right now is you know n- not active, missed the entire season because of hip surgery, and, you know, he played the one season on the island, became a fan favorite during that one year in 2018-2019, but he's not, you know, he hasn't played all year, and, you know, therefore, his influence on the team is just kind of limited. But the Florida Panthers, I think, have had more connections to the Islanders. I mean, let's start with this. Who was the first general manager of the Florida Panthers? Who was running the player personnel for the Florida Panthers when the franchise was born? Bill Torrey, the same guy who built the New York Islanders dynasties and was the first GM of the Islanders. Dennis Potvan was a broadcaster down in Florida for many, many years. And, you know, there was those two connections uh, early on. And it, it always sort of had that feeling, you know, other players who... Played for both teams. You had Ole Jokinen, Roberto Luongo. John Van Beesbrook was briefly uh, a, a member of the Islanders as well. And it, it just seemed that the 
Florida Panthers, especially in the early years, were more, you know, had more former Islanders on the roster because Tory would bring in guys he was familiar with. And let, let's face this, how many Long Islanders have family down in the South Florida area, in Miami, and the surrounding, you know, Fort Lauderdale, and, and, and you know, Dade, Broward, West Palm, all that. A lot of people have relatives there or have second homes there if they can afford it. Um, and when you go to a Florida Panthers game in Florida and they're facing the New York Islanders, there, there are a lot of Islander fans, people who grew up on Long Island and in New York and retired and moved down to Florida to retire. So I, I guess to me, there's a greater connection between the New York Islanders and the Florida Panthers than there is between the Islanders and the Vegas Golden Knights. And then I think, you know, Stan Fischler, uh, writing for the Hockey News, pointed out some similarities between the Panthers and the 1975 New York Islanders, a team that barely squeaked into the playoffs that people didn't expect to go anywhere pulled off some big dramatic upsets, and then, you know, the Islanders that year uh, went to the semifinals, or what would now be the conference final, fell behind to the defending Stanley Cup champion Flyers 3 to nothing, rallied to tie the series at 3-3, and then fell short. Florida went beyond that after beating Boston uh, and Toronto. They go to the Stanley Cup final, but again, overall, that underdog coming out of nowhere, seemingly, feeling, seems to, again, connect the Panthers of this year in spirit with the early 1975 Islanders who were making their very first playoff appearance. So I think most Islander fans will be pulling for the Florida Panthers, but uh, we're going to put a poll question up on YouTube, so look for that, and we'll find out who the majority of Islander fans are are rooting for, and please feel free to let us know why, because uh, always interesting to hear about that. But again, uh, I think most Islander fans will probably be pulling for the Panthers. We have got more to get to on today's show. The Athletic rated all 32 teams, hometown broadcast teams. We'll talk about where the Islanders team fell and where they belonged. We've got that, plus our J.G. Pajot season analysis All that and more coming up on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And look, you got the NBA Finals, you got the Stanley Cup Finals, And you could find so much at FanDuel. They have great promotions every day. The app is safe and secure, and you get paid instantly after you win. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook, and that's FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
So the Athletic took a look at all 32 NHL broadcast teams. And Brandon Burke, Brendan Burke and Butch Goring uh, finished pretty well. They finished in the top 10, ranking 7th overall in the league. And it was interesting to read the article because Brendan Burke got a lot of love in the comment section. And they really, you know, a lot of fans praising Burke, and deservedly so. He is very good at what he does and and really has a, a nice, easygoing, but exciting style at the same time. Uh, they praise Shannon Hogan and Thomas Hickey for their work in between periods. But it was interesting that Butch Goring kind of got mixed reviews. And I am a big Butch Goring fan. Yeah, he makes his mistakes with uh, names and, and, and statements every once in a while. But, you know, those are more humorous than bothersome. And he does make a, a direct link for Islander fans between the dynasty years in the 80s and even, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s when he was coaching. And he has done so much for this organization over the years. And I love, you know, his little sayings like talking about the toy department and, and you know, just sort of being there. And, and look, if you've ever had the chance to talk to Butch Goring and meet him and uh, have a conversation with him, I could talk hockey with Butch all day long. He's a good storyteller. He is, uh, you know, a true Islander. So, you know, matching that duo up, I think, is very, very interesting. And out of the three New York area teams, uh, the Islanders trio, uh, or the, the Islanders team ranking highest out of the three, the Devils, uh, with Bill Spaulding and Ken Danico, 17th. Uh, in the rankings, so that was the lowest of the three. The Rangers, with Sam Rosen, of course, and Joe Micheletti, who used to do color for the Islanders, uh, they ranked 10th and then 7th for Brendan and Butch. Now, the only teams that ranked ahead of the Islanders were the Tampa Bay Lightning in the 6th spot, St. Louis Blues in the 5-hole, the Canucks uh, in Vancouver, fourth, although John Garrett, their color guy, announced his retirement after the year. So, you know, he was a big reason they were ranked so high. We'll see how that goes into next year. Uh, the Dallas Stars were three, the Detroit Red Wings in second, and the brand-new Seattle Kraken had the number one ranking with John Forsland and Eddie Olchek, uh calling their games. So, you know, to me, a lot of fans also worried that uh, Brendan Burke may leave. He's getting more national games uh, for TBS and TNT and, uh, you know, ESPN Plus and doing some Yankee games. Islander fans do not want to lose Brendan. And, and quite honestly, uh, I, I, I don't want to lose Butch either. I think Thomas Hickey uh, may be able to take over, or uh, you know, or maybe AJ Malesko uh, uh, could take over if and when Butch is ready to retire. But to me, the Islanders' broadcast team 
is one of the better ones in the league. I think this ranking of seven is, you know, not too far off. I might push him up a, a couple of spots higher. But, you know, the reason I know that Islander fans have such an affinity for Brendan and Butch is anytime the Islanders are not on MSG or MSG Plus and they're on ESPN Plus or on TNT or TBS, you hear it. Oh, I got to put up with the other announcers. Oh, I don't like this. It's not the same without Brendan and Butch. And it isn't. Realistically, you always want to hear your hometown announcers call a game with the obvious exception of if your team is good enough to get to the Stanley Cup final, uh, you're more than happy to have the national broadcasters carry the game. And for those of you who are able to see if the Islanders are playing a Canadian-based team, you want to watch a Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, those are exceptionally good as well. But that's a national broadcast in Canada rather than a broadcast of one of the local teams. And, you know, the Islanders, what, maybe once or twice a year are on one of those broadcasts. But very happy, you know, too often, Islander fans are always aware of the lack of respect that the Islanders get from the national and international, if you look at Canada and the United States as being, you know, international. The North American media, Islander the, the arena and, and the facilities and the, the popularity of the team. The Islanders always seem to get short shrift from the national media, not a lot of attention, recognition, however you want to put it. It is good to see that Brendan and Butch are at least getting respect from the national media and it's respect that they deserve because they really are a top broadcasting team and uh, I really want to congratulate them on the top 10 ranking and for being ranked as the best of the three local broadcast teams here in the New York metropolitan area for NHL hockey. So, uh, Brandon and Butch, congratulations. And uh, looking forward to seeing both of you back come October when we start up the season again and we get some more Islanders hockey. We have got more to get to on today's episode. We have our player-by-player look at the Islanders roster. It continues with J.G. Pajot, and we go back to the 90s for our Islanders birthday of the day. All that and more still to come on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. So we continue our play player-by-player look at the uh, Islanders roster every day. As you know, we've been doing this now since about a week after the season ended. And uh, we continue every day. We discussed Adam Pellick on yesterday's show. Today, J.G. Pajot. Pajot, now 30. He'll turn 31 in November. He is the Islanders' third-line center, plays on the second power play unit, kills penalties, uh, does you know, sort of does a lot of different things for the Islanders. Uh, in 70 games this year, 13 goals, 40 points, and he was a minus two plus minus. 
Five of his 13 goals came on the power play. Three came shorthanded, and he added three power play assists and one shorthanded assist to the mix. He actually was more productive this season, statistically, than last season, scoring one more point in seven fewer games, although he scored five fewer goals, but had six more assists. And, you know, the thing about J.G. Pajot is all the little things he gives you. Uh, His shots on goal, 123 in 70 games. That's a little less than two per game. And his shot attempts, 204 in 70, so a little less than three per game. He had 175 hits. That is a new career high. He blocked 61 shots. That's his highest total since 2017-2018 with the Ottawa Senators. So you're getting from Pajot a lot of energy and a lot of hustle. In the playoffs, a little bit of a disappointment. Only one assist in six games for J.G. Pajot. His ice time, 17 minutes, 37 seconds per game three seconds less than the year before. So he's been consistent in that area and 57.2% face-off wins for Pajot. Him, you know, Pajot in the face-off circle really is uh, important and getting possession of the puck, especially in the defensive zone. You you have a big face-off in the defensive zone. You can comfortably put J.G. Pajot out there and know that he is going to get the job done for you more often than not. Uh, He's sound defensively and really does a a good job as a two-way center. Uh, Pajot right now has three more years left on his contract. He earns $5 million cap hit per season. Uh, And I guess that's a little high for a third-line center. He does have a modified no-trade clause. He has uh, the right to submit 16 teams that he doesn't want to be traded to. So moving him is a little more difficult because you've got, uh, you know, only 15 teams that you could trade him to as opposed to the full uh, 31 other teams. But, you know, he is, I think, the epitome of a Lou Lamorello player, and he is, you know, steady, consistent, uh, doesn't tend to be all that streaky, uh, just, you know, he went through a slump, I think, January, and the team was struggling, uh, you know, he didn't score a point from January 19th all the way to February 6th, February 7th, he broke out with two assists, so, you know, there are the occasional slump, uh, situations that every NHL player goes through. But overall, J.G. Pajot is going to give you the little things you need. I wish they were paying him maybe three and a half or four million dollars a year as opposed to five, just because, you know, five million is a little high for a third line center. But when you think about all the things Pajot does well, he really is sort of, uh, exactly what Lou Lamorello looks for in a third-line player. He just gets paid more like a second-line player. I think Pajot will be back 
there are some rumors that, you know, if the Islanders are going to make some kind of a move uh, and, and trade a center, because they do have uh, five centers on the roster, if you include Matthew Barzal, that Pajot would be the logical one to deal. But again, we'll sort of see whether or not any of that happens. I think Lou Lamorello would be very reluctant to trade Pajot. And if you think about it, I think that Pajot would be a little tough to trade based on his cap hit, his age, and everything else. So I think he's back next year doing the same kind of role, third-line center, penalty killer, maybe some second-line power play time, but that remains to be seen. J.G. Pajot, sort of the consummate Lou Lamorello-era New York Islander. Time now for our Islanders' birthday of the day. We're a day early on this, but Friday will be the 58th birthday of former Islanders forward Adam Creighton. First-round pick of the Buffalo Sabres back in 1983 after back-to-back 40-goal, 90-point seasons for the Ottawa 67s of the Ontario Junior League. Made his NHL debut in 84-85 with Buffalo, later played for Chicago, and then was dealt to the New York Islanders at the 91-92 season. Played 66 games for the Islanders that year. 15 goals, 24 points, and yes, 102 penalty minutes. Then went on to play for the Lightning, the Blues, and the Blackhawks a second time before finishing out his career in Germany. Creighton played 708 career NHL games, 187 goals, 403 points, and 1,077 penalty minutes. He was 6'5", 210 So here is a guy who really was uh, big and could give you that physicality as a two-way center who could also put the puck in the net. One of his better games with the Islanders, January 14, 1992 at the Nassau Coliseum. The Detroit Red Wings in town. Tim Shevelday, the goalie. Mark Fitzpatrick in goal for the Isles. And Adam Creighton. Buried two goals on two shots on goal in that game as the New York Islanders beat the Detroit Red Wings by a score of 6-2. to two. Creighton opened the scoring in the first period. Yubi McDonough and Tom Curvers with the assist. And then closed the scoring in the third. Again, Yubi McDonough and then Tom Fitzgerald assisting. So Adam Creighton, an Islander for almost one full season, he is our Islanders' birthday of the day. I want to thank everyone again for making Locked On Islanders your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. We continue our player-by-player look at the Islanders. We're going to talk a little Hudson fashing and what his season was like, whether he met expectations, and what we can expect from the newly re-signed fashing next season as he hopes to carve out a bigger role on this team. Until then, stay safe, everyone. Have a great uh, great day. And, of course, let's go Islanders.